So what do you do um, when you need guidance or uh, advice or help uh, with something? I mean, like um, learning how to cook a new recipe, um, a particular meal, or how to repair a leaking tap, um, or how to get from Hoxton to the West End. Um, nowadays, you probably ask Google or Siri. Um, if you're a bit older, like me, you might look up a book. Um, but what if you're struggling with a life problem? Maybe you're confused, conflicted. Uh, maybe you're not sure how to understand the problem. Uh, maybe you're worried that you are the problem. I think most of us in those circumstances would turn to a trusted friend to talk it through, to explore the problem. We need to get perspective on the problem. We need wisdom on how to address it and respond to it. And that is what the letter of James is all about. The early church, after the, the persecution in Jerusalem, was spread out uh, across the countries around the Eastern Mediterranean. Uh, and these communities found themselves um, facing many problems and challenges in a world and culture which was hostile to Christianity. They needed help. They needed encouragement. They needed wisdom. So um, today, we're starting a new sermon series um, called Living Wisely with James. Uh, and over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be looking in more depth uh, at what James had to say to the early church and uh, what he might say to us today. Now, the letters in the New Testament are great because they're not too long. Um, and generally, they address very practical issues and problems, which makes them perhaps a little easier to read um, than uh, some of the other books which we find in the Bible. So let's begin with prayer. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would take these words which I've prepared, that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us this morning, that, Lord, you would move in our hearts and in our minds, that, Lord, you would bring revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the letter of James is addressed to the young Christian church, and um, it is intensely practical. It touches many areas of, of human experience, wealth and prosperity, uh, pain and poverty, anger and healing, tears and joy, because the letter uh, addresses its readers broadly uh, and generally. Um, what James has to say, I think, will help us um, here 2,000 years later, about what it means to be a disciple of Christ, uh, what it means uh, to be the church. Now others will unpack the letter in more depth uh, in the coming weeks, uh, and my purpose this morning is simply to, um, to provide a bit of a summary and an overview of the letter, to, to highlight the key themes that it addresses, um, a bit like a, a roadmap. Um, I don't know if you have a car, um, but most cars nowadays have sat-navs, which are wonderful if you're in a city you don't know. Um, but they only show you just the little bit you're in. Um, and they're great if you want to know whether you need to turn left or you need to turn right uh, at the next junction. But if um, you want to know, am I going in the right direction to my destination, um, it's quite difficult to get a general um, perspective. Um, sometimes I really long for those old road atlases um, where you could actually see where you were going. Um, and so, um, I suppose in, in summary, um, 
the letter of James is really an, an exploration and an unpacking uh, of Jesus' response to the expert in the law, the question of the expert in the law in Matthew chapter 22, in which he asked, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So I think that's really what James is trying to do, to trying to put some, um, some flesh on the, the bones of what Jesus was saying there. But let's just ask, who, who was James? Who is the author of this letter? Now, many people have, have studied um, the letters of the New Testament, and most of them think that James, the James here is James, the brother of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles, but he had the privilege of growing up with Jesus. Um, and he came to prominence in the early church in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, talking of his first visit to the Jerusalem church, uh, mentions James in his uh, letter to the church in Galatia. Um, and Paul describes James then as an apostle. And it seems that after Jesus' death and resurrection, James and Simon Peter um, became the sort of the key leaders of the church, the early church in Jerusalem. And despite famine and poverty and persecution, James stayed in Jerusalem until he was martyred by beheading in AD 62. He knew something about trials and tribulations. So who was the letter written to? Well, the opening of the letter in chapter 1, which we, we didn't read, tells us that James was writing to the 12 tribes. Uh, in other words, the Jewish people who now followed Jesus, scattered uh, among the nations. So unlike many of the letters of the Apostle Paul, which were written to specific churches, James's letter is more of a circular, um, not written to one particular church. And in the first decades after Jesus' resurrection, Jerusalem, unsurprisingly, was the, the center of the Jesus movement. Um, we know from the book of Acts that the growth of the church there was, was really rapid, um, but times were turbulent. The persecution of the fledgling church by the Jewish authorities um, started early and recurred often. We're told in chapter 8 of the book of Acts that great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 11, the persecution scattered the disciples to Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon, the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, and Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. In other words, these Jewish believers were living in exile among the nations around uh, the Mediterranean basin. Which means that the, the recipients of James's letter, whether by choice or necessity, were incomers or immigrants in foreign lands. And like many migrants, these early Christians living in other countries with cultures very different to their own probably had to bear ethnic prejudice, marginalization, economic hardship. And of course, as Jewish believers in Jesus, 
they were in religious terms a minority within a minority in the Roman Empire where true religion was worship of the Roman Emperor and the Roman gods, the gods of Rome. So these immigrants would have faced many tricky questions, issues of identity, choices about lifestyle and practices, decisions about adapting into their host communities, uh, and the concern for and need of mutual support. And James's letter, as we read it, shows an acute awareness of social and economic divisions and suggests that friendship with the world um, can be at odds with allegiance to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the letter of James about? Well, it consists in our modern versions of of five fairly short chapters. Those chapters contain numerous pithy little sayings and teachings on how to do life well. In fact, the letter of James is very, very similar to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And clearly, some of James's teachings and advice come from that well-known Jewish book. James sees the world as a, as a system alien to God moving to a perverse and discordant rhythm, out of sync with God's intentions and desires. And he suggests that investing loyalty in the world systems will feed our sense of entitlement. It will narrow the the horizon of our prayers and result in our neighbor becoming a competitor rather than a threat rather than a person to whom we should show care and love and warmth. He's concerned that if we tie ourselves to the world, then we'll be tempted to speak harshly and unkindly. We're likely to become selfish and indifferent to our neighbor's needs. Because James wants us to find wholeness and integrity in the way we live as followers of Jesus. And that begins with turning to God. Through this, the people of God can learn new habits of reconciliation and repair, reshaping and renewing their lives, our lives, in a damaged and destructive world. So we, James says, as individuals and corporately as the church, need to develop healthy and good habits and practices in order to do life well. Unfortunately, the letter of James has had a bit of a bad press over the years, uh, and in Protestant circles, this is largely due to the great reformer, Martin Luther, who in the 16th century described the letter of James as a right strawy epistle, an epistle of straw, a letter of straw. He didn't think there was much weight to it. Um, It's because he didn't think it was very theological. Um, It was more about practical wisdom. And it's true that James only refers to Jesus by name twice in the whole letter. But the letter is, as I've said, influenced by the book of Proverbs. We see that through the frequent mention of the word wisdom that James uses. And whilst Luther is right that it does offer practical wisdom, he seems to miss the fact that we find many, many references to the teachings of Jesus. In particular, Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke's Gospel. So even if Jesus isn't mentioned expressly, his teaching is at the very heart 
of this letter. In fact, there are over 70 similarities with the teaching of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, more in fact than in any other New Testament letter. James also refers to the Old Testament law and particularly the writings in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He speaks of the perfect law, the law of freedom and the royal law. He talks about such things as true love, what real faith is, our use of language, being single-minded, not judging others, the dangers of wealth, enduring hardship for the sake of the gospel, praying with faith and graciously helping those whose faith is weak. So as I said at the beginning, in summary, what James seems to be saying is that if you're looking for true wisdom on how to live well, then you'll find that in Jesus' summary of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And chapter one of the letter is really a summary of, of what's to come in chapters two to five. He reminds us that God is the true source of wisdom, that poverty and need can force us to trust God. They can be good things that God is generous and that we shouldn't merely listen to the word of the gospel, but actually do what it says, as we heard in the first part of the reading just now. The other thing that James does is he introduces this, this idea of, of completeness, wholeness, of perfection, uh, and that runs throughout um, the letter. It is something, James says, that we should strive for, in part because it's our ultimate destiny to be made perfect in Christ. But also because as we are fractured, broken, double-minded beings, we don't know what we ought to do. We're inconsistent. We lack integration at the very core of our being, and we need to train ourselves under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to behave in more loving and compassionate ways. So James wants us to develop... Um, Habits of wholeness, habits that will enable our perfection or completeness in Christ. And three particular habits stand out to me. The first is not having favorites. The second is speaking well. And the third is caring for one another. So first, favoritism. James assumes that his readers are meeting uh, as a community of faith. And whilst this is vital for our spiritual growth, which is why you guys are gathered here this morning. Um, judging by appearances, having favorites within the church can be a problem. It was a big problem that Paul addressed in the church at Corinth. You know, such behavior, having favorites, is wholly incompatible with being a follower of Jesus. I mean, first of all, because Jesus himself wasn't particularly attractive. Um, he, he was a rural rabbi from the northern part of Israel. He was an ordinary bloke. He wasn't part of the Jerusalem elite. And of course, he was a crucified criminal, which in the eyes of the Jewish law meant that he was cursed by God. Second, Jesus blessed the poor as people to whom the kingdom of God belonged. And third, James himself had witnessed the abuse of power through the persecutions instigated by that Jerusalem elite, those with the wealth and power. 
we shouldn't have favorites. Everyone is welcome in the kingdom of God. And James wants to dissuade his readers from chasing after money and power because both can take us to dangerous places. And James wants us to be motivated by love, treating our neighbor fairly, loving our neighbor, by sharing our resources, having uh, an open hand to those in need. It's interesting that in Leviticus, in the uh, law of Israel, um, there is a ban on showing favoritism just before the command uh, in the law about loving your neighbor. James would have known that well. The second habit of wholeness is speaking well. James tells his listeners and us to use our words carefully, peaceably, honestly, supportively, and simply. He warns against anger and impatience and envy. And he introduces this theme in the first chapter, and it runs right through the letter. He talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is because what he calls the implanted word, in other words, the spirit of Jesus, needs the good soil of a humble and receptive spirit if it's to flourish. The tongue, James tells us, is like a, like a weather vane for the whole of life. How we use our tongue, in other words, what we say, shows whether we are in, in line with God's ways or not. The tongue can be a force for good, but it can also do terrible damage. That old saying, bricks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is so very wrong and untrue, as most of us will probably know from experience. So James calls on us to seek wisdom, to, to sow peace, to speak truthfully, to learn how to live skillfully before God in the tangled world of human dealings and relationships. And thirdly, we need to develop a habit of wholeness in caring for one another. James has much to say about pastoral care because he understands that church is a family. We belong to each other. We're dependent on each other. We're to look out for each other. The joys and sorrows of one belong in some way to us all. James says, are any among you suffering? Pray for one another that you may be healed. And when he says that you may be healed, that's in the plural. It's about you, the church, will be healed. So if a member of the church is neglected or uncared for, they are hurt. But James says so is the person who could have offered care but chose not to. And not only that, but the church community suffers too. Wholeness is a quality which we pursue and discover together. That's why here at St. John's we encourage people to get involved in weekly connect groups, a place where you can be known, study the Bible, and share your struggles, receive prayer, be encouraged, know that you're not alone. James challenges the church to respond to suffering by by moving towards it with mercy and concern, rather than, than stepping away in fear uh, and aversion and um, neglect. Your prayer makes a difference. As an aside, if you, 
If you haven't signed up for Graham's call to uh, join with him in prayer and fasting uh, this term, then I encourage you to do so. Um, you can find a link on the homepage of the church website to do that. Um, we are uh, praying and fasting together on a fortnightly basis um, on a Tuesday and Wednesday. So James wants us to develop these habits of wholeness, but how can we do that? Well, the first thing, I think, is having perspective, God's perspective. To be such people, James asks his readers, us, to think about the perspective or the stance with which we view and understand our troubles, our wealth, or lack of it, and our choices. And in particular, to ask if our way of understanding of these things is the same as God's. So thinking about troubles or trials, which, as I said, James was very familiar with, his point is that a trial may not be pleasant, but it can be a means of growth if we embrace it and seek God in it together with our brothers and sisters. It can secure and strengthen our faith. And the word trial has two aspects, and James explores the relationship between them. A trial can mean a testing that comes from, from outside, um, such as sickness or criticism or the loss of a job. But it can also mean those forces in our personality that test our moral resolve, our inner life, if you like. When we experience tough times, we can discover that our inner life is a, a conflict zone as we discover that we're challenged by the moral and ethical um, tensions and often difficult choices we have to make, something I suspect we all experienced during the recent uh, COVID pandemic. Testing, James says, leads to endurance, which in turn makes a person complete. And we return to this theme of completeness or perfection, which I mentioned earlier. And James says that we will need stamina and resilience to live faithfully amid the pressures around us. And the idea of testing and trials opens up another key theme, how as Christians we view our choices in life. And James casts life in terms of opposites, faith that is active or faith that is dead. Wisdom from above, godly wisdom, or from below, earthly wisdom. Friendship with God or with the world. The unpleasant rich person and the righteous poor person. And James sees two sets of forces competing for space in our personalities. First, there is the unholy trinity of desire, sin, and death. James speaks of being tempted by one's own desire. And then desire, he says, conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. It's a, a downward spiral initiated by our ungodly desires. But in opposition to this unholy trinity, James tells us that God is doing a work of new creation in us through the word and through wisdom. The word is God's gracious direction for our lives. That is to say the good news Jesus brought with his message of repentance, adoption, and the breaking through of the kingdom of God into this world. And wisdom is the gift that enables us to embrace and embody that word, to put the gospel 
into practice. As James says, be doers of the word. And then finally, James talks about our attitude to money, things, and wealth. He tells us that these things don't last. More importantly, they don't define who we are. God's judgment, he says, will bring a great reversal. The hungry, grieving poor will be raised up and the rich will be cast down. Wealth, James warns, is temporary, fragile, and even dangerous. Poverty, however, draws the gaze of God. If we measure ourselves and one another by how much we have or don't have, we're fools. We need to look to God and keep our eyes on him. So in conclusion, the letter of James helps us to understand what love of God and love of our neighbor looks like in action. The letter of James is about how to build the moral character of the community um, that is the church. We don't live life as autonomous, individual, unconnected people, as our culture tries to tell us. But we live in a supportive, interdependent community in which we should be able to confess our failures and mistakes, receive forgiveness, and be restored in our faith. A community in which trials and challenges are embraced and faced can be stepping stones to spiritual growth. We can make godly choices, wise choices, based on the word of the gospel, based on the teaching of Jesus. And in such wealth as we have, um, in which wealth as we have is not a source of division and competition, but a tool for building the church and the kingdom of God. So over the next few weeks, we will explore the letter of James a little bit more and reflect on Jesus' command that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and love our neighbor as ourselves.